Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. All rise. This is the Honorable Sam, a.k.a. the Barn Chief Presiding, and I'm bringing you a special podcast series on In the Can. We're talking Bluff City Law, a part of the Barnburner Podcast Network, so check out www dot the hyphen barnburner.com for articles and other good stuff we have the backdoor cut our nba podcast grit and gridiron college football and theater and college hoops where we just talked memphis basketball with the theater and college hoops guys so check out all that exciting stuff wherever you get your podcasts now members of the jury and barn listeners as usual let's get into the law of the grind city your client murdered a 16 year old girl i have that confession and the jury's gonna say it we have to explain why he confessed to something that he didn't do. You have to get him released based on the DNA. They framed this guy. We've taken 25 years of his life. Let's not take another day from him. You be careful, Jake. Because there's something about this case. Here we are. It's episode three, titled 25 Years to Light, aptly written by Bill Chase, directed by John Terleski, garnered a viewership of 3.71 million. Uh, we're actually down a little bit. The, uh, the episodes have trended down in viewership of Blood City Law, which is not what you want to see, but that's pretty typical of any sort of show to, to kind of trend down as the show progresses into the season and maybe trend up towards the end of the season finale. That's what we hope to see. Uh, so we'll monitor that going forward. This episode, before we get into it, first of all, i got to say, poll last week, we asked you, the barn readers, which bar Jake most likely frequents. Now we had four selections, okay? We had Silly Goose, Silkies, Tin Roof, and Ernestine and Hazel's. Winning by a fairly narrow margin was what I suspected, which is Silly Goose. It's a, uh, it's a bar of a particular taste. And like we said, you know, Jake's probably there at the bar bragging about how he's a lawyer, talking about Boston Red Sox titles and crushing Red Bull vodkas uh, until he has to wake up in his tie at the bar the next morning and probably rush into work. Um, sorry to stereotype you, Jake, but that's just how I feel you are. So we've got an episode here. Jake and Elijah are preparing for George's retrial. Uh, Sydney and Anthony's former law instructor asked them to file a petition to legally change his age from 62 to 42. Uh, and then we kind of got two parallel trials like we usually have in these episodes. Um, the criminal trial with Jake is kind of controlling the episode. And we have this weird kind of gender age identity case going on. It's kind of tracking some of the stuff we're seeing in modern society. But first, let's start. The Memphis Wolves, the divorcees, are on the prowl. And boy, they are jonesing for them some Elijah. He's got them ladies, man. And also got a freaking kick-ass, like, six-pillar white mansion somewhere in Memphis. We don't know where. Uh, We're wondering, actually, where that is. So if anyone knows where that house is, uh, let me know because I'm going to probably drive by it and definitely not make an offer on it because they're sure as hell can't afford it. Uh, The law professor, though. I just want to talk about this guy, this character. Pretty accurate depiction of a law professor. You know, a little bit snooty. uh, Certainly, you know 
forthcoming about what he knows and what he doesn't know and um, very confident and always talking about class rank and his former students and all that. Uh, so I thought that was well. Online dating, you know, we covered that a little bit. He wants to date the younger women. Um, one thing I noticed, though, and, and one thing that Chris Harrington since pointed out, so Sydney and Anthony under the canon of Blessed Law, if you will, the BCL EU, the expanded universe. Uh, they attended Vanderbilt University. Well, here it appears that they are in Memphis at Memphis Law School. So unless their professor quit Vandy and, and suddenly came to work for Memphis, uh, then I'm not quite understanding uh, how they're already breaching their internal plot. You know, that's, that's something that's not what you want. You don't want you don't want a, a, such a clear breach of the BCL EU uh, in episode three. But I digress. Um, we have a lunch. Sydney gets lunch with their half brother. Uh, they go to what I believe is Majestic Grill and sit on the patio, uh, and they eat none other than ribs, of course, barbecue. That's all we have to eat here. Do you know we eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, we literally like, and, and instead of water, we actually drink barbecue sauce. Uh, it's kind of crazy, you know. It's just all we consume, and it's probably a large part of the reason why the obesity is so high here in the United States is because it's so concentrated here because all we eat is barbecue. Uh, it's pretty crazy. So many ribs, so many ribs, so many ribs. I got to say, I'm kind of triggered to see my entire city's cuisine distilled down to essentially one food item. But I will say that Emerson's point is well taken. Ribs do look like ribs, uh, hence the name. And it kind of does make you extremely well aware that you are being a very much carnivore. You know, you're sitting there like chowing down on like a creature's ribs. So it is. it can be gross if you think of it that way. So shouts to Emerson for pointing that out. So they go see the aging lawyer. They go see this guy named Connor, uh, Connor Marks, the aging lawyer who represented George in his previous trial. And um, we find out that he sort of his best efforts went, you know, fell on deaf ears. This guy like went to the great lengths to defend George uh, and George repaid him by confessing. You know, and that, that's the biggest part of this case here is that George confesses on videotape. How do you get get over that? You know, what would what would cause an innocent man to confess to a murder? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty interesting little uh, subplot going. I feel like the, the show seemed to find some legs with, with this episode. There's a little more comedy with the online dating, uh, the kind of the lightness of the uh, age identity plot. And then there was, uh, there was also a you know, very serious criminal case going on. I think the criminal trials kind of create some more interesting drama uh, than so the civil trials like that a uh, big agricultural case of last episode, just naturally criminal trials, are, you know, the life and death situation of them, as opposed to money, you know, certainly seem just like they, they create automatic drama, which is why, you know, we see so many different dramas, you know, use that as a backdrop. We said, you know, a few good men, for example, most famously, uh, or 12 angry men, you know, a lot of those sort of legal dramas use the criminal drama uh, trials, a backdrop. Uh, but we, we noted that that is, kind of going on in the background and it's good stuff. Uh, Portia, the little teacher's aide over there in Memphis Law, trying to get that uh, after school extra credit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the She is the teacher's pet. She is a research assistant. Uh, that's absolutely accurate. Uh, she is probably a gunner in law school, meaning that when, you know, when there's questions asked, she's first to raise her hand. Teacher's pet would be kind of an antiquated term for that. Uh, but without a doubt, Portia is out there scheming. For those A's, man, because she knows those A's get the big law jobs. So, you know, we, we see the the trial of George. Uh, we see kind of them take the Elijah second chair, try to you know figure out what their best position is. They want to 
attack the three witnesses of the state. Uh, the first two, they undercut. The third one's the mother, and it's just difficult, the mother of the victim. They really don't have anything to do there. Um, I will say that when George is on the stand, pretty good performance there by Scott Shepard as George. A little soap opera-y, but, you know, I kind of bought a man that confessed essentially to let his wife move on. You know, once he realized he wasn't going to be able to win his trial, he, he, the reason he confessed, as we, as we find out, is to allow his wife uh, there at the trial to, to move on and just let him rot in prison, which is pretty morbid. But, you know, pretty selfless by George as well. We also find out in a Bluff City revelation that Sydney is, in fact, adopted by Elijah. She's not a biological daughter of Elijah. She was already one when Elijah married her biological mom. So, you know, technically, Emerson is not her half-brother, biologically, by blood. But, of course, you know, by marriage and all that, he is. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of doled out in episode three after we sort of believe uh, the Emerson is her actual brother. And, and of course, they're going to kind of forge a relationship, it seems. And they have a good chemistry going. They have a little rib joke going. Uh, they eat a lot of casseroles uh, at the end of the episode. And we know, I know, that nothing brings people together, like heating up, reheating old casseroles. And they're just enjoying them in a nice kitchen at that mansion that Elijah lives in. Seem to have a lot of tomfoolery and a lot of good camaraderie going. So, Sydney's ex-husband. This dude shows up literally every single episode and brings in some sort of criminal aspect, some sort of like record that only he could obtain as chief of detectives in Nevis Police. I feel like that's kind of getting a little tired. Uh, there's a, a plot device called a, a Deus Ex Machina, where essentially at the last hour of a plot where all seems lost, you know, some sort of angel or some sort of uh, other effect, some sort of usual mythological beast comes in and saves the day, you know, brings in something that completely saves our heroes, and then all is well. Sidney's ex-husband seems to be that in all these episodes. He seems to come in with some sort of file, some sort of piece of evidence that exonerates, you know, our, our, our hero's client. Uh, and, and, of course, that was a prime example of this, of this episode. She, he comes in with a file that, that shows that, you know, that George could not have done, that, that it was a misfile by a detective and misquote, um, whether, we, whether intentional or not. But it's sort of alluded to that the detectives are going to be under fire now because, uh, you know, there was some sort of hiding of evidence or some sort of mismanagement of evidence. Uh, so the, uh, the guy, what, what can I say about this guy, this ex-husband? He seems like a good dude. Uh, nice beard, nice wavy hair. I trust him. You know, I trust him to lead the chief of detectives. So I'm fired up about that. As they walk out of the courthouse, though, after winning this trial and setting George free, the camera holds on the word justice engraved in the columns there at the civil courthouse. Now, there's a thing in film and just, well, I mean, pretty much, you know, novels too, like in, in all sort of walks of, of entertainment called on the nose. So that's when something's too obvious, uh, dialogue's too um, too relevant to the situation going on where it feels a little hokey. Uh, I think this is a also a prime example of that. I mean, you literally have a man that has been wrongfully convicted for 25 years, rotting in prison. Uh, and then right after he's exonerated, you hold on the word justice for three seconds. Uh, the show definitely is a little bit wink, wink, nudgy, nudgy at the audience and make sure to know that it's definitely an NBC courtroom drama, but I, I could have done without that. And, and let's of course not forget that they did not go to rum boogie after they win the trial to celebrate. Now, if this show has taught us anything, it's that if you're a lawyer, number one, all you eat is ribs. Okay, that's number one. Number two, if you win a case, you go to rum boogie after. That's number two. Those are the two things we know about lawyers in Memphis. I should know I'm a lawyer in Memphis, and I guarantee that's all I do. That's all I do. Sometimes I eat the ribs in rum boogie. It's pretty wild. But 
We'll be back with another episode of Bluff City Law next week. It is titled Fire in a Crowded Theater. The show's amping up. I'm excited to see what they have in store. I think there's about 16 episodes for sure ordered. So we'll see where the show goes. And this has been The Chief with another episode of Bluff City Law on In the Can. Joker podcast coming up soon. So look out for that as we dive into Joaquin Phoenix's brain. Like it or not. This has been an episode of In the Can. This is The Chief. This is the judge exiting the bench. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. WC handy, won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first class ticket, but I'm as blue can be then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam walking in Memphis but do I really feel the way I feel saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue followed him up to the gates of Graceland and I watched him walk right through Now security, they did not see him They just hovered around his tomb But there's a pretty little thing Waiting for the king Down in the jungle room When I was walking in Memphis I was walking with my feet Ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis